If I die tomorrow, I'd be alright Because I believe that after we're gone The spirit carries on Good morning, everybody. It is January 13th, 2021. I can't believe we are mid-month already. Uh, Welcome to It's Lit with Mitch. I am Mitch, uh, and I read powerful literature out loud beginning to end, and throughout I pause to react, make commentary, and uh, just generally think out loud, making some good jokes, making a lot of bad jokes. Basically, the point of my podcast is to seek expanding my knowledge and understanding of topics uh, with which I'm not as familiar as I'd like to be. Currently, that's the Holy Bible. I've never read the Bible before. Um, It might have even been... (laughs) I'm going to rephrase that. It is more ambitious a project than I thought it was going to be. Um, It's taking longer to get through, you know, any given page uh, or any given section than I thought. I mean, it took, took nine episodes to get through Genesis and then have a discussion. We're in Exodus now. Um, and I just looked it up that you would have to read five chapters of the Bible each day. I didn't do this research beforehand, but you have to read five chapters a day to finish the Bible in a week, or excuse me, wrong, to finish the Bible in a year, in a whole year, every day. And I'm doing like two or three episodes and, and five or six chapters in those episodes was my goal. I really wanted to try and get this done, you know, within six months or so. So we're going to have to pick up the pace. But again, I'm not going to rush. I still want to comprehend everything. Um, So anyway, uh, just a reminder, if you're watching, I would love it if you would join my email list. I have been censored from Facebook, um, which is my primary vessel for getting the word out. Um, So please go to itslitwithmitch.com, I-T-S-L-I-T. W-I-T-H, Mitch.com. It's litwithmitch.com. Please go there and join my email list if you haven't already. That way, when I make new episodes, I can send it to you. Um, I, we just don't know the future. We don't know who will, who will be persecuted and, and what affiliations um, you know, people will be censored for. Um, and I would at least like to have an email address of people um, that I can take with me wherever I have to go uh, to get a message out. Because at the end of the day, I think the message I'm spreading here is a good message, which is I'm a lifelong atheist, um, though I admit I have very strong Christian sympathies. And I'm reading the Bible and throughout I'm taking the time to pause, but I'm also bringing on guests to speak with me who are you know, believers. They're true believers. They're good decent people living a good life with families that they love and that they're all these really good things. And the message is that we can have a dialogue and we can be open to how other people are living their lives and what brings them meaning. And we can be very genuinely interested in understanding what brings them meaning. Um, And I don't want that message censored. In fact, I think that it's uh, a really good message to be putting out into the world right now. Um, I'm even struggling if I'm going to be very, I might've said this on the Genesis episode, but I'm even struggling with some of the stuff I've read because I think it's right. 
as far as the lesson at least is concerned that it's teaching. And I'm conflicted because I don't want to believe that. Namely, when Joseph in Genesis is so forgiving of these people who did him so wrong, when they would deserve some kind of penance at least. I mean, they're, 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 they've not received any kind of penance at all for what, they, for what his brother, for what Joseph's brothers did to him. They didn't receive any penance at all. And I can't say that I would be so forgiving as Joseph. And right now, one of the things I've said, and I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with this. It is impossible for me to separate my politics from the rest of my life. It will creep in every now and again in this show. Even though I do try to temper it, it will creep in. But I have a personality where it's impossible to separate the two. I am fine with you emailing me or sending me something that would be a contrary thought um, with reasons why. Um, totally fine. But I'm not fine with being harassed. And I when I've looked at the last 10 months, and I've seen the war that governments have waged on their people, the economic war, for one, not allowing people to open their businesses or go to work for a living. Uh, I mean, those are economic sanctions, and uh, a lot of people in the world consider economic sanctions an act of war. Um, <laughs> for centuries, the way you would take a city-state would be by locking it down. You would just surround the city and not allow any trade in and out. And the people would eventually starve and you could just waltz in and take the, the damn city, right? Um, and still today, that can be done. So I view the last 10 months as a war on the populace. Um, it's the only time I've felt like I identified with FDR's quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Um, well, we've totally surrendered to fear absolute surrender to fear and it is running our lives it's running rampant and the reason I say all this is that I found myself thinking so often lately I'll never forgive these people for what they've done to us this year these authoritarian politicians and their constituents who are empowering them how can I forgive them if I'm having trouble with my own mental health this year like I know I have a strong mental core and I have strong internal communication but if I'm having trouble then it's really bad for most other people and I can't believe that it's being that it's being done I, I don't know how I can forgive these people for what they've done and that's one of the lessons that's just an example of one of these lessons that I'm conflicted about I don't know how do I forgive them how can I open up my heart to be so forgiving? Is this, um, I'm skipping ahead because I know this part, but is this a forgive them because they know not what they do type scenario? Can I forgive them because of their ignorance? A lot of them? I don't know. That's a thing that I think I'm going to continue to be conflicted about. And hopefully this good book will help me with it. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, we're going to jump in back to the book of Moses. And geez, we're just going to try and go a little bit faster after my little monologue there. Um, so, you know what? I actually had some things I wanted to talk about. I went on a rant, but I had some things I wanted to talk about. Um, and I'll be quick. 
there's four things in the four chapters. So in chapter one, um, in fact, they multiplied so greatly they became powerful. And then look, the people of Israel outnumber us. They're stronger. Uh, we have to keep them from growing. And if we don't, war if war broke out, they'll join our enemies and they'd fight us, right? So they're, they're basically, the Egyptians are plotting to make the Israelites their slaves because they're afraid that the Israelites have more power than them. They've multiplied better. They're wealthier. So eventually the Egyptians did revolt. And that's an actual, whether or not this is a true account of, of historical fact, it does paint the picture of what actually happens when you have one power that's in control and you have another power that's sort of rising up and the one power knows that they have to try their best to quell or squash the other power before it gets too powerful. Um, and I, again, it's just another, another uh, piece of the story that is right here, right in the book. Um, and then I was really interested in Moses protesting to God. Um, Act, this one actually requires a little bit more, more time for me to explain, I think. But Moses is protesting to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? And God answers, I will be with you. That was really powerful to me because it strikes me as counter. Um, it, it counters an argument that I have made previously as an atheist, maybe in my previous days. I know I've said this out loud to people before. Um, which is that instead of having self-esteem, believers have what I would identify as God-esteem. This is an, a former argument that I would make. Um, as I've, I've changed a little bit, and that's one of the lines that's actually really impacting me because I am very open to the idea of, of God being essentially the source of self-esteem or the source of like one's inherent efficacy, one's ability to achieve a desired result. Um, and so if a mortal questions his own efficacy and he's questioning that efficacy to God himself, God would simply respond, I am, I am with you. So you can do X, Y, Z, you can achieve that goal um, or you can make that a possibility because I can do it and I'm God and I am with you. And so that, again, when I think about the development of, of psychology, I'm not a psychologist, so maybe I'm just an idiot and maybe a psychologist can better inform me who watches this one day. But I think about how important it is if we look back through human history as human civilizations are growing, it's probably really important to have that in there where you have this transcendence that guarantees your efficacy, right? I don't, I don't, certainly don't think any other beings on the planet have that. And so it kind of, it just struck me as something where I think I was wrong um, and I misjudged a lot. Um, and, and for years I did so. Um, so I wanted to admit that here, that line spoke to me um, because, well, I'll, just, I'll leave it there. I'll 
I'll talk more about it with whoever I talk to about Exodus here. Um, and the last thing is, so Moses told the people of Israel what the Lord had said, but they refused to listen anymore. They had become too discouraged by the brutality of their slavery, um, which is just another, uh, another point where it's painting the picture that there is such great power in demoralizing a people. But then I wonder, what is God's purpose in demoralizing them? Because a demoralized people is, you only have power over them for so long, right? Eventually, the, the, you know, the water comes to a boil. So I'm, I'm, that's where we left off is what is God's purpose in demoralizing them? And so we're going to get started today and find out. Chapter 7, Aaron's staff becomes a serpent. Then the Lord said to Moses, pay close attention to this. I will make you seem like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. Tell Aaron everything I command you, and Aaron must command Pharaoh to let the people of Israel leave this country. But I will make Pharaoh's heart stubborn so I can multiply my miraculous signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Even then, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you. So I will bring down my fist on Egypt. Then I will rescue my forces, my people, the Israelites, from the land of Egypt with great acts of judgment. When I raise my powerful hand and bring out the Israelites, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 when they made their demands to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Pharaoh will demand, show me a miracle. When he does this, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down in front of Pharaoh and it will become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did what the Lord had commanded them. Aaron threw his staff before Pharaoh and his officials and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh called, on his own, called in his own wise men and sorcerers, and these Egyptian magicians did the same thing with their magic. They threw down their staffs, which also became serpents. But then Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Pharaoh's heart, however, still rema remained hard. He still refused to listen, just as the Lord had predicted. A plague of blood. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is stubborn and he still refuses to let the people go. So go to Pharaoh in the morning as he goes down up to the river. Stand on the bank of the Nile and meet him there. Be sure to take along the staff that turned into a snake. Then announce to him, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to tell you, let my people go so they can worship me in the wilderness. Until now, you have refused to listen to him. So this is what the Lord says. I will show you that I am the Lord. Look, I will strike the water of the Nile with this staff in my hand, and the river will turn to blood. The fish in it will die, and the river will stink. The Egyptians will not be able to drink any water from the Nile. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Take your staff and raise your hand over the waters of Egypt, all its rivers, canals, and ponds, and all the reservoirs. Turn all the water to blood. Everywhere in Egypt, the water will turn to blood even the water stored in wooden bowls and stone pots. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. As Pharaoh and all of his officials watched, Aaron raised his staff and struck the water of the Nile. Suddenly the whole river turned to blood. The fish in the river died, and the water became so foul that the Egyptians couldn't drink it. There was blood everywhere throughout the land of Egypt. But again, the magicians of Egypt used their magic, and they too turned water into blood. 
So Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. Pharaoh returned to his palace and put the whole thing out of his mind. Then all the Egyptians dug along the riverbank to find drinking water, for they couldn't drink the water from the Nile. Seven days passed from the time the Lord struck the Nile. I guess my question is, why doesn't the Lord appear to Pharaoh himself as he can appear to Moses and Aaron? Um, and I suppose I'm going to find out the purpose of that, but that's my initial question. Chapter 8, A Plague of Frogs Then the Lord said to Moses, Go back to Pharaoh and announce to him, and announce to him This is what the Lord says, Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse to let them go, I will send a plague of frogs across your entire land. The Nile River will swarm with frogs. They will come up out of the river and into your palace, even into your bedroom and onto your bed. They will enter the houses of your officials and your people. They will even jump into your ovens and your kneading bowls. Frogs will jump on you, your people, and all your officials. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, Raise the staff in your hand over all the rivers, canals, and ponds of Egypt, and bring up frogs over all the land. So Aaron raised his hand over the waters of Egypt, and frogs came up and covered the whole land. But the magicians were able to do the same thing with their magic. They too caused frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and begged, Plead with the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people. I will let your people go so they can offer sacrifices to the Lord. You set the time, Moses replied. Tell me when you want me to pray for you. Tell me when you want me to pray for you, your officials, and your people. Then you and your houses will be rid of the frogs. They they will remain only in the Nile River. Do it tomorrow, Pharaoh said. All right, Moses replied. It will be as you have said. Then you will know that there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your house, your officials, and your people. They will remain only in the Nile River. So Moses and Aaron left Pharaoh's palace, and Moses cried out to the Lord about the frogs he had inflicted on Pharaoh. And the Lord did just what Moses had predicted. The frogs in the houses, the courtyards, and the fields all died. The Egyptians piled them into great heaps, and a terrible stench filled the land. But when Pharaoh saw that relief had come, he became stubborn. He refused to listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had predicted. A plague of gnats. So the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, raise your staff and strike the ground. The dust will turn into swarms of gnats throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded them. When Aaron raised his hand and struck the ground with his staff, gnats infested the entire land, covering the Egyptians and their animals. All the dust in the land of Egypt turned into gnats. Pharaoh's magicians tried to do the same thing with their secret arts, but this time they failed, and the gnats covered everyone, people and animals alike. This is the finger of God, the magicians exclaimed to Pharaoh. But Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He wouldn't listen to them, just as the Lord had predicted. A plague of flies. Then the Lord told Moses, Get up early in the morning and stand in Pharaoh's way as he goes down to the river. Say to him, This is what the Lord says. Let my people go, so they can worship me. If you refuse, then I will send swarms of flies on you, your officials, your people, and all your houses. The Egyptian homes will be filled with flies, and the ground will be covered with them. But this time I will spare the region of Goshen where my people live, 
No flies will be found there. Then you will know that I am the Lord, and that I am present even in the heart of your land. I will make a clear distinction between my people and your people. This miraculous sign will happen tomorrow. And the Lord did just as he had said. A thick swarm of flies filled Pharaoh's palace and the houses of his officials. The whole land of Egypt was thrown into chaos by the flies. Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron. All right, go ahead and offer sacrifices to your God. But do it here in this land. But Moses replied, that wouldn't be right. The Egyptians detest the sacrifices that we offer to the Lord our God. Look, if we offer our sacrifices here where the Egyptians can see us, they will stone us. We must take a three-day trip into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, just as he has commanded us. All right, go ahead, Pharaoh replied. I will let you go into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God, but don't go too far away. Now hurry and pray for me. Moses answered, As soon as I leave, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the swarms of flies will disappear from you and your officials and all your people. But I am warning you, Pharaoh, don't lie to us again and refuse to let the people go to sacrifice the Lord. Go to sacrifice to the Lord. <clears throat> so Moses left Pharaoh's palace and pleaded with the Lord to remove all the flies. And the Lord did as Moses asked and caused the swarms of flies to disappear from Pharaoh, his officials, and his people. Not a single fly remained. But Pharaoh once again became stubborn and refused to let the people go. A Plague Against Livestock, Chapter 9 Go back to Pharaoh, the Lord commanded Moses. Tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go so they can worship me. If you continue to hold them and refuse to let them go, the hand of the Lord will strike all of your livestock, your horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, and goats, with a deadly plague. But the Lord will again make a distinction between the livestock of the Israelites and that of the Egyptians. Not a single one of Israel's animals will die. The Lord has already set the time for the plague to begin. He has declared that he will strike the land tomorrow. And the Lord did just as he had said. The next morning, all the livestock of the Egyptians died. But the Israelites didn't lose a single animal. Pharaoh sent his officials to investigate, and they discovered that the Israelites had not lost a single animal. But even so, Pharaoh's heart remained stubborn, and he refused still to let the people go. A plague of festering boils. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from a brick kiln and have Moses toss it into the air while Pharaoh watches. The ash will spread like fine dust over the whole land of Egypt, uh, causing festering boils to break out on people and animals throughout the land. So they took soot from a brick kiln and went and stood before Pharaoh. As Pharaoh watched, Moses threw the soot into the air and boils broke out on people and animals alike. Even the magicians were unable to stand before Moses because the boils had broken out on them and all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And just as the Lord predicted to Moses, Pharaoh refused to listen. A Plague of Hail then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Tell him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, says. Let my people go, so they can worship me. If you don't, I will send more plagues on you and your officials and your people. 
Then you will know that there is no one like me in all the earth. By now I could have lifted my hand and struck you and your people with a plague to wipe you off the face of the earth. I guess there's, here's my answer uh, pre to the previous question. But I have spared you for a purpose, to show you my power and to spread my fame throughout the earth. But you still lord it over, but you still lord it over my people and refuse to let them go. So tomorrow at this time, I will send a hailstorm more devastating than any in all the history of Egypt. Quick, order your livestock and servants to come in from the fields to find shelter. Any person or animal left outside will die when the hail falls. Some of Pharaoh's officials were afraid because of what the Lord had said. They quickly brought their servants and livestock in from the fields, but those who paid no attention to the word of the Lord left theirs out in the open. Then the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward the sky so hail may, hail may, uh, so hail may fall on the people, the livestock, and all the plants throughout the land of Egypt. So Moses lifted his, hand, lifted his staff toward the sky, and the Lord sent thunder and hail, and lightning flashed toward the earth. The Lord sent a tremendous hailstorm against all the land of Egypt. Never in all the history of Egypt had there been a storm like that, with such devastating hail and continuous lightning. It left, it left all of Egypt in ruins. The hail struck down everything in the open field. People, animals, and plants alike. Even the trees were destroyed. The only place without hail was the region of Goshen, where the people of Israel lived. Then Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. This time I have sinned, he confessed. The Lord is the righteous one, and my people and I are wrong. Please, beg the Lord to end this terrifying thunder and hail. We've had enough. I will let you go. You don't need to stay any longer. All right, Moses replied. As soon as I leave the city, I will lift my hands and pray to the Lord. Then the thunder and hail will stop, and you will know that the earth belongs to the Lord. But I know that you and your officials still do not fear the Lord God. Uh, it says in parentheses, all the flax and barley were ruined by the hail because the barley had formed heads and the flax was budding. But the wheat and the emmer wheat was spared, were spared because they had not yet sprouted from the ground. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and went out of the city. He left when he lifted his hands to the Lord, the thunder and hail stopped and the downpour ceased. But when Pharaoh saw that the hail, rain, hail and thunder had stopped, he and his officials sinned again. And Pharaoh again became stubborn. Because his heart was hard, Pharaoh refused to let the people leave, just as the Lord had predicted through Moses. Chapter 10 A Plague of Locusts Then the Lord said to Moses, Return to Pharaoh and make your demands again. I have made him and his officials stubborn, so I can display my miraculous signs among them. I've also done it so you can tell your children and grandchildren about how I made a mockery of the Egyptians and how the signs I displayed among them and about the signs I displayed among them so you know so you will know that I am the Lord. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, "This is what the Lord the God of the Hebrews says. How long will you refuse to submit to me? Let my people go so they can worship me. If you refuse, watch out." For tomorrow I will bring a swarm of locusts on your country. They will cover the land so that you won't be able to see the ground. They will devour what little is left of your crops after the hailstorm. 
including all the trees growing in the fields. They will overrun your palaces and the homes of your officials and all the houses in Egypt. Never in the history of Egypt had your ancestors seen a plague like this one. And with that, Moses turned and left Pharaoh. Pharaoh's officials now came to Pharaoh and appealed to him, How long will you let this man hold us hostage? Let the men go to worship the Lord their God. Don't you realize that Egypt lies in ruins? So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh. All right, he told them, go and worship the Lord your God. But who exactly will be going with you? Moses replied, we will all go. Young and old, our sons and daughters, and our flocks and herds. We must all join together in celebrating a festival to the Lord. Pharaoh retorted, the Lord will certainly need to be with you. The Lord will certainly need to be with you if I let you take your little ones. I can see through your evil plan. Never. Only the men may go and worship the Lord, since that is what you requested. And Pharaoh threw them out of the palace. Then the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the land of Egypt to bring on the locusts. Let them cover the land and devour every plant that survived the hailstorm. So Moses raised his staff over Egypt And the Lord caused an east wind to blow over the land all that day and through the night. When the morning arrived, the east wind had brought the locusts. And the locusts swarmed over the whole land of Egypt, settling in dense swarms from one end of the country to the other. It was the worst locust plague in Egyptian history. And there has never been another one like it. For the locusts covered the whole country and darkened the land. They devoured every plant in the fields and all the fruit on the trees that had survived the hailstorm. Not a single leaf was left on the trees and plants throughout the land of Egypt. Pharaoh quickly summoned Moses and Aaron. I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you, he confessed. Forgive my sin just this once and plead with the Lord your God to take away this death from me. So Moses left Pharaoh's court and pleaded with the Lord. The Lord responded by shifting the wind, and the strong west wind blew the locusts into the Red Sea. Not a single locust remained in all the land of Egypt, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart again, so he refused to let the people go. A Plague of Darkness Then the Lord said to Moses, Lift your hand toward heaven, and the land of Egypt will be covered with a darkness so thick you can feel it. So Moses lifted his hand to the sky, and a deep darkness covered the entire land of Egypt for three days. During all that time, the people could not see each other, and no one moved. But there was light as usual where the people of Israel thrived. Finally, Pharaoh called for Moses. Go and worship the Lord, he said, but leave your flocks and herds here. You may even take your little ones with you. No, Moses said. You must provide us with animals for sacrifices, and burnt offerings to the Lord our God. All our livestock must go with us too. Not a hoof can be left behind. We must choose our sacrifices for the Lord our God from among these animals, and we won't know how we are to worship the Lord until we get there. But the the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart once more, and he would not let them go. Get out of here, Pharaoh shouted at Moses. I'm warning you. Never come back to see me again. The day you see my face, you will die. Very well, Moses replied. I will never see your face again. Death for Egypt's firstborn. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
I will strike Pharaoh and the land of Egypt with one more blow. After that, Pharaoh will let you leave this country. In fact, he will be so eager to get rid of you that he will force you all to leave. Tell all the Israelite men and women to ask their Egyptian neighbors for articles of silver and gold. Now the Lord has caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the people of Israel. And Moses was considered a very great man in the land of Egypt, respected by Pharaoh's officials and the Egyptian people alike. Moses had announced to Pharaoh, This is what the Lord says. At midnight tonight, I will pass through the heart of Egypt. All the firstborn sons will die in every family in Egypt, from the oldest son of Pharaoh who sits on his throne to the oldest son of his lowliest servant, girl who grinds the flour. Oh, okay, I understand that. I misread. Uh, Even the firstborn of the livestock will die. Then a loud wail will rise to the land of Egypt, a wail like no one has heard before or will ever hear again. But among the Israelites, it will be so peaceful that not even a dog will bark. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites. All the officials of Egypt will run to me and fall to the ground before me. Please leave, they will beg. Hurry and take all your followers with you. Only then will I go. Then... Burning with anger, Moses left Pharaoh. Now the Lord had told Moses earlier, Pharaoh will not listen to you, but then I will do even more mighty miracles in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed these miracles in Pharaoh's presence, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he wouldn't let the Israelites leave the country. And... Chapter 12, the first Passover. (laughs) When the Israelites were still in the land of Egypt, the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. From now on, this month will be the first month of the year for you. Announce to the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for a sacrifice. One animal for each household. If a family is too small to eat a whole animal, let them share with another family in the neighborhood. Divide the animal according to the size of each family and how much they can eat. The animal you select must be a one-year-old male, either a sheep or a goat, with no defects. Take special care of this chosen animal until the evening of the 14th day of this first month. Then the whole assembly of the community of Israel must slaughter their lamb or young goat at twilight. They are to take some of the blood and smear it on the sides and top of the door frames of the houses where they eat the animal. The same night, that same night, they must roast the meat over a fire and eat it along with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. Do not eat any of the meat raw or boiled in water. The whole animal, including the head, legs, and internal organs, must be roasted over a fire. Do not leave any of it until the next morning. Burn whatever is not eaten before each morning. These are your instructions for eating this meal. Be fully dressed. Wear your sandals and carry your walking stick in your hand. Eat the meal with urgency, for this is the Lord's Passover. On that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and strike down every firstborn son and firstborn male animal in the land of Egypt. I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord. But the blood on your doorposts will serve as a sign, marking the houses where you are staying. 
When I see the blood, I will pass over you. This plague of death will not touch you when I strike the land of Egypt. This is the first time I'm knowing any of this. This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law for all time. For seven days, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, remove every trace of yeast from your homes. Anyone who eats bread made with yeast during the first seven days of festival will be cut off from the community of Israel. On the first day of the festival, and again on the seventh day, all the people must observe an official day for holy assembly. No work of any kind may be done on these days except in the preparation of food. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law for you. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. The bread you eat must be made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day of the first month until the evening of the 21st day of that month. During those seven days, there must be no... It's like, it's like God hired a bureaucrat here. <laughs> During those seven days, there must be no trace of yeast in your homes. Oh, oops. During those days, you must not eat anything made with yeast. Wherever you live, eat only bread made without yeast. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel together and said to them, Go, pick out a lamb or young goat for each of your families and slaughter the Passover animal. Drain the blood into a basin. Then take a bundle of hyssop branches and dip it into the blood. Brush the hyssop, hyssop, I don't, never seen that word in my life, across the top and sides of the door frames of your houses. I'm assuming hyssop or hyssop is blood. Um, or like a brush or something like paint. Oh, I see. I'm just an idiot. Context clues. Hysop branches. Okay. So it is kind of like a paintbrush using the hysop branches as a brush. Great. Sorry. Continuing. And no one may go out through the door until morning, for the Lord will pass through the land to strike down the Egyptians. But when he sees the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe, the Lord will pass over your home. He will not permit his death angel to enter your house and strike you down. Remember these instructions are a permanent law that you and your descendants must observe forever. When you enter the land the Lord has promised to give you, you will continue to observe this ceremony. Then your children will ask, what does this ceremony mean? And you will reply, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord, to the Lord, for he passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt. And though he struck the Egyptians, he spared our families. When Moses had finished speaking, all the people bowed down to the ground and worshipped. So the people of Israel did just as the Lord had commanded through Moses and Aaron. And that night, at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn sons in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn son of the prisoner in the dungeon. Even the firstborn of their livestock were killed. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the people of Egypt awoke, woke up during the night, and loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. There was not a single house where someone who had not died. Where? Gosh. There was not a single house where someone had not died. Oops. 
Israel's exodus from Egypt. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out, he ordered. Leave my people and take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said, and be gone. Go, but bless me as you leave. All the Egyptians urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible, for they thought, we will all die. The Israelites took their bread dough before yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks and carried them on their shoulders, and the people of Israel did as Moses had instructed. They asked the Egyptians for clothing and articles of silver and gold. The Lord caused the Egyptians to look favorably on the Israelites, and they gave it, the Israelites, whatever they asked for. So they stripped the Egyptians of their wealth. Interesting to me that many thousands of years ago, taking silver and gold was stripping people of their wealth, even still. That night, the people of Israel left Ramesses and started for Sukkoth. There were about, about 600,000 men, plus all the women and children. A rabble of non-Israelites went with them, along with great flocks and herds of livestock. For bread they baked flat cakes from the dough without yeast they had brought from Egypt. It was made without yeast because the people were driven out of Egypt in such a hurry that they had no time to prepare the bread or other food. The people of Israel had lived in Egypt for 430 years. In fact, it was on the last day of the 430th year that all the Lord's forces left the land. On this night, the Lord kept his promise to bring his people out of the land of Egypt. So this night belongs to him, and it must be commemorated every year by all the Israelites from generation to generation. Instructions for the Passover. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, These are the instructions for the festival of Passover. No outsiders are allowed to eat the Passover meal. But any slave who has been purchased may eat it, if he has been circumcised. Temporary residents and hired servants may not eat it. Each Passover lamb must be eaten in one house. Do not carry any of its meat outside, and do not break any of its bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate this Passover festival. If there are foreigners living among you who want to celebrate the Lord's Passover, let all their males be circumcised. Only then may they celebrate the Passover with you, like any native-born Israelite. But no uncircumcised male may ever eat the Passover meal. This instruction applies to everyone, whether a native-born Israelite or a foreigner living among you. So all the people of Israel followed all the Lord's commands to Moses and Aaron. On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. And we're going to call it a day. That was a lot. A lot of stuff happened right there. Thank you for watching. We're going to pick up another day. Have a great day.